Homeschooled by Cinema. This is the film class you won't want to sleep through. We are chugging along on our mini series on screenwriting. And I am very happy to be joined once again, third time's a charm, you know, uh, with, by Preston Mitchell to discuss uh, J. Preston Allen's Cabaret. Hi. Hi, Lexi. Thank you again for having me. And uh, it's as I said to you off, as I said to you off mic, like uh, I love what you've been doing with School by Cinema this season with the screenwriting and uh, your horror series was really dope uh, this past um, uh, spooky season. And uh, I just love seeing the podcast grow and I look forward to it whenever it drops. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. You are you are our most, you know, you've been on here the most. So you know the, the spiel. So I am going to jump in by asking, what does screenwriting mean to you? Man, um, <laughs> it, and I'm, I'm prefacing, prefacing with that because I, that's, a, that's an answer I've been thinking about all day. And I, <laughs> and I finally realized, you know, screenwriting is just one of those things like um, as a writer for uh, like my like my career, my, 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 my nine to five career, like that's what I do for. Uh, uh, the past few companies that I've been at. Um, I'm a humanities major from college. Like I was a film major when I went into college and then I came out a humanities major. That's a whole different uh, story in of itself. <laughs> but um, no, writing's very uh, important to me uh, in movies. And and it's one of those things where I find my, my taste have, I feel like have been more or less, I think I've grown <laughs> as a movie fan uh, from, you know, like from when I was a kid up all, all the way up until now, but I feel like I've always been very drawn to uh, stories about like st smaller characters or regarding like sci-fi, fantasy, crime, noir, even comedies. Like I, I tend to be drawn to the more uh, off kilter, uh, character driven stuff. That's just more of, of, that's always been like kind of my speed uh, when it comes to movies. And so, um, I mean, goodness, I mean, like Quentin Tarantino is one of the most influential people on my, you know, movie kind of movie, movie talking life uh, kind of thing. And, and like, and I've talked before about Ryan Johnson and, and uh, Billy Wilder uh, in the past. So, I mean, screenwriting is very important to me. And I would say there's obviously exceptions. I love to watch a, a, a cheesy genre movie with, with uh, some pretty terrible dialogue. But even then I, I, I find myself, uh, like when I watch Independence Day, I, I find my 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 third brain, so to speak, kind of breaking <laughs> down. Oh, you know, like, well, Jeff Goldblum wants this, and Will Smith really wants this, and and every character has their wants and needs. And I think there's a certain with each genre and each type of story that there's a certain there's a certain amount of you have to give the audience what you want when it comes to uh, no matter what type of movie it is. And I think that that blueprint really comes from the the writing. So the I am very excited for you to be on this podcast and I kind of threw out a couple ideas at you and you kind of at the last uh the first season you kind of rolled with me on that and I, you know I actually maybe I should say I rolled with you I gave you suggestions of a few things and you were you know requested westerns and that's how that progressed this time I asked about you know female film writers, and then also musicals, which are, you know, musicals are not your forte. So as we guys a little bit off mic. So 
what do you throw me under the bus? <laughs> not at all, not at all. It's it's a tip for tat, you know. Uh, <laughs> so what did you enjoy this? Like, what is your history of musicals? Like, have you seen Cabaret before? Sure, sure. Um, so this was uh, this was my first time seeing Cabaret. Um, out of the the movies that you chose from this specific screenwriter, uh, Jay Preston Allen, this was the movie that I chose actually. And uh, one reason was because, for one thing, musicals are one of my biggest blind spots. I'd say musicals and horror movies; those tend to be the genres that um, either elude me, or uh, in the case of one the other, uh, I'll say, like, it, it tends to bounce off me. Um, in the case of musicals, however, um, musicals are one of those things where um, I, I, I grew up around, like, uh, like you know, I'm, I'm one of the children of a single mother household. So musicals were, were played. Um, you know, I grew up watching a little bit of Gene Kelly, uh, even fewer Fred Astaire. And by fewer, I mostly mean, like, the bandwagon, which is directed by uh, Liza Minnelli's father, the star of this movie. So, um, and there's musicals that over the course of my life that I've I've either loved, but there's but there's also a lot where I'm kind of like, I don't know, like I don't know if this genre is really for for me and me or not. And I think it's interesting because I compare musicals and horror together because whenever I hear people on on podcasts talk about the intricacies of these genres and things of that nature, I'm also a part of me not the complete Preston, but a part of my brain is just like, man, like I, I don't look at movies like that all the time. And when, and when it comes to screenwriting, I definitely uh, don't look at musicals the same way I look at the screenwriting tactics of other, other genres, if that makes sense. Because I do feel yeah. like musicals play by a different set of rules. I feel like sometimes I feel like musicals go on longer than what my taste palette might be. And I've, I've sat through many three, four hour movies and, <laughs> and things of that nature. Then I watch a musical and sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like all that jazz, fucking amazing. Like, you know, really feels really tight, even though the content can come off repetitive, but it's all building to this very tragic Powell and Pressburger style character study. And I'm sure all that jazz will come up again in this conversation for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons but um but then there's other movies where i'm like ah man this musical number is too long or uh this is more style than substance uh which i think every film fan you know loves loves you know a director or a movie for being style over substance but mm -hmm. when it comes to musicals like that i'm 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 definitely uh to segue in on my thoughts on cabaret i'm finding that i'm definitely more fossey than i am baz Luhrmann with my taste so yeah wow John Lerman into the bus now too. I had to, man. <laughs> so I am a very deep musical lover. I grew up with musicals. My cousins all danced uh, tap, and so they like that tap and musicals go hand in hand. So they were always there's always on their TV growing up. So I watched them all the time. This. It, cabaret is a completely different kind of musical and it kind of broke the mold when it comes when it comes to this kind of thing um one of the things i listened i watched this movie because i've seen it a few times i uh watched it and listened to the commentary by this um he's a right film writer his name is steven uh, trepiano on the warner archives uh disc oh, yeah. 
So it was really interesting to listen to that and watch the movie. Um, and one of the things they noted on is that when they screened this film in a lot of the bigger cities before they released it, a lot of the comments that they got or the feedback that they got were like, this is a musical for people who don't like musicals. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. It's funny because, um, I guess I'll throw myself under the bus uh, once more because <laughs> I've noticed I've noticed like a lot of the musicals I like and I and I and when I watched Cabaret last night, which by the way, I really really loved it. Just Good. just putting that out there. So Lexi, thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> and once again, much like my second time on this on the show, I guess it's kind of like a reverse of the first time it I was is. on the show because like you were very you were new to the searchers and now i'm new to cabaret yeah and much like you i do have some things where i have questions and i do yes. have some things that i I'm, I'm still pretty iffy on but i'll say as far as the totality of my enjoyment i really enjoyed the shit out of this movie but uh i've noticed that over the years that like musicals i like tend to be musicals that like the biggest theater kids i know and i grew up mm -hmm. with many especially high school i did <laughs> i did like a couple plays uh when i was a uh, uh uh when i was like a uh, a junior or or yeah senior year definitely yeah from junior to senior year and then i'd be like uh you know like hearing all the people talk about what their favorite musicals are and and uh i remember coming back from college for to visit some of my theater friends La La Land it came out. Yes. <laughs> and I really and I and I enjoyed it. I really yeah. I really I really liked that movie. And then all my uh not all my friends, there, there's a couple that shared my uh uh shared my enth enthusiasm. This is before all the the white savior jazz stuff had kind yes. of cultivate kind of took over the conversation yeah. about that movie because man, that Oscar season was uh a doozy. Just happy to <laughs> that's yeah, but uh it was like no that had the worst choreography this or that you know the worst <laughs> editing like it was so white all this stuff and 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 yeah i <laughs> i definitely had some some pretty um interesting conversations uh, surrounding that movie and and you know movies like les mis and sweeney todd movies that yeah. i like you know i tend to tend to brush up against the musical heads i guess because they don't have the same level of i guess vo vocality or or what have you that um a more traditional hammers and rogerstein musical has so yeah yeah i would say this movie is more it's more of a movie it's more of a straight up movie with musical numbers versus actually being a musical and a lot of this so i've never seen the musical in person so mm -hmm. i can't say what it's like there are differences and obviously a musical is meant to be there to entertain you to keep you in your seat because you're there for like two to three hours sometimes so right. it's supposed to keep you on that like up mode the entire time um so the interesting thing about this movie is it's very much like the interstitials of the musical numbers that punctuate what had previously or what is going to happen in the future yes. and so it kind of as i said before it kind of breaks the mold and so unfortunately i didn't i've never seen the musicals so i can't really say as much but i did read the script the, the original script because there's like all these complications because bob fossey directed this movie he is a notoriously cranky or or was a notoriously cranky ornery like hard ass 
not a very nice person. <laughs> and to say that right, it's a well-known fact. Uh, but she, so she had written the the template for this movie, and then apparently Hugh Wheeler had come in, or Bob Bossy asked him to come in and like punch up some stuff and add more from the original book. Mm -hmm. um, it's a base a, a play a musical based on a book. And sorry, then, Lexi. Okay. I was gonna. Sorry, I, just to interject. When you say the book, uh, are you referring to like, are you referring to Candor Nepp's songbook? That so um, no, so it's like an actual book that Christopher Isherwood wrote, okay. and then the musical Cabaret is based off that book. And so the film they adapted the musical and took parts from the original um, original book. By Christopher Isherwood to make it more of like a film adaptation. So it's like this, like snake eating its tail cycle of this movie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, because I didn't know. Um, so I I did take the liberty uh, earlier this afternoon. I had some time uh, during my work break to check out some extras of the script. Yeah. Because um, uh, I don't know if I said it up top, but I did watch this movie last night, and it's yeah. been it's been a wild, wild week. So I didn't have a chance to really sit down <laughs> with the screenplay like I wanted no to. No worries. But um, I am familiar, surprisingly, with uh, a lot of uh, Jay Preston Allen's work, and um, what I what I kept finding was that there was a lot more. Um, and feel free to disagree with me if you will, Lexi. But uh, <laughs> I, I was finding that there was a lot more emphasis on dialogue, and there was way oh, more. Yeah. yeah, and and which I found interesting because the movie. One of the things that caught me off guard immediately about this movie is that it opens up with a musical number on the stage. Yes, and. I, had, I guess I had an image in my head uh, for a long time that um, this would be something, I guess, a little more fantastical, something like yeah. all that jazz, whereas yeah. Cabaret is surreal, but in a different sense, like where... It's more like I, blending the lines between like... Yes, yes. Versus being like kind of hyper surreal. Yes, because with, uh, with all that jazz, uh, which, uh, which is basically full on Bob Fosse's bi yep. biography about himself and, and him being drug addled, cranky, that type of person <laughs> that Roy Shire is playing. Um, th whereas this movie just from the jump, like Joel Gray is all up in your face yeah. and makeup. Um, and I always love it when musicals um, open up with a musical number where it's like, Oh, oh, we're a musical. Like yeah. you're, 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 you're strapped in, you know. Um, but it was a different approach to what I, to what I've seen before. Because last year I saw Guys and Dolls for the first time. Uh, another, another musical that I, that I do love. So yeah, musical heads, I do like a good musical. I guess not <laughs> <laughs> judging by those standards. Um, whereas that musical number is like kung fu, basically. Like they, yeah. they're all like doing these like wild dance moves and and doing flips and that kind of thing it, it's it's very much the platonic ideal of what you would think an opening number is this number's on a stage and so immediately i was like okay it's a this is it's a period piece it's burlesque there's gonna be some uh more allusions to sexual content so i'm assuming based on what you said um about the changes to that fossey brought to the table mm -hmm. to to press to to press allen's work that he probably added more of the lewdness because a lot of the numbers in this movie, I'm gonna be honest, they're they're a little uh there there's some horny energy going on. Um 
at least that's that's the way I perceived it. Well, yes, and I I I don't know the I as I said before I haven't seen the screenplay or the music the the actual musical, but I mean it's kind of inherent to this idea of like an after hours club where you go and watch people perform, sure. and it works really well with Fosse's style of dance because his style of dance is all like in the hips, move like these kind of like gyrating movements were, and you've seen all that jazz so you know that like iconic musical number where everyone's like kind of al almost naked and like yeah dancing with each other that's like an amazing scene in of itself so this is like the 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 first step to getting to that part so so it, it actually it works very well with you know Fosse's style this kind of like eroticism inherent eroticism mm -hmm. and this idea that these people are searching for some kind of place to exist because they live outside the norms and there's this inherent crouching like oppression of nazism coming in from around all sides of the film mm -hmm. and so what happens is this like this is like the safe space for these people but it but at the very end of the film you see so this idea that at the beginning of the film this nazi person or like nazi soldier comes in like asking for donations or whatever and, and he gets kicked out of the club and at the end of the film you see like half of the audience is nazi officers so it's like this evolution yeah. of germany at this time in berlin and and it's just like fascinating timepiece and, and also the fact that liza minnelli has her her big final number in this movie and she's one of the first numbers and one of the final numbers and it's all on her it's like this fascinating mix of like the under the undercurrent of society versus like the oppression of society yeah there's there's a there's a really interesting coalescence between um the underprivileged literally the jews um and I think what what really affected me from the jump uh, was uh, it's not the first musical number, but it's the second, mm -hmm. uh, where it's the first it's one of the it's one of the first ones where Joel Gray really comes into play, yeah, uh, visually because um, again him being the master of ceremonies of the whole thing, he just has this charisma that leaps off the yeah. screen that I really enjoyed. But it's this very happy sequence as you see less people in the crowd that's yeah. immediately literally it's immediately edited um, with. Nazi officers bashing a dude, literally bashing a dude's head yep. in, um, to the point to when um, it's a different person um, who who's been who's suffered from injuries. But when Liza Minnelli, uh, Michael York, and uh, I believe the character's name is Max, when they're driving past another body, the body is dead and yep. blood just like leaping, uh, leap, Jesus, bleeding, bleeding from his, bleeding from the skull, and it's. And that scene I found to be very odd and perturbing, uh, not in the sense that it was out of place, but in the sense that this is what actually would would happen. Yeah. And um, and, and again, it, it was one of those things where I almost expected, and I appreciate that the movie didn't do this, where I expected Liza Minnelli to sing almost throughout the movie. She does a yeah. little bit uh, non-diegetically, just to herself and. Uh, mix up these limericks where um, she's she's 
singing about the delusions that she has. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I'll be a rich. I'll be rich someday. I'll be the next Clara Bow. Um, and me being an old movie fan and a history nut, like, <laughs> I always love the the references. You know, I live for that kind of thing. But um, like I'm I'm this or that kind of fa almost fancy herself as like a another uh, Mae West in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. But um, but like it's Michael York who has to tell her, um, e even though she she brought him um, a very important sexual experience after he establishes that says to her literally like, hey, like. I've had sex three times. Like I, I've, I've tried this, and it all ends badly. Yeah. Um, that that uh, passage of dialogue took on very different meanings uh, with me throughout the film, and I'm very curious. Almost, I don't think that's Fosse. I do think that's Jay Preston Allen. Yeah. Because something that is a hallmark of her work, and I can't claim to be an expert on her, but the I have seen. I'm um, looking at her filmography now. Um, I have seen Death Trap. That's the that's the Preston Allen I've seen the most. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I know that's that's uh, it was that was one of the movies that you actually threw out as a suggestion. And 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 since I had covered it before on another podcast, I yeah. didn't want I didn't want to bring redundancy to School by Cinema. Yeah. I don't think your your loyal listenership doesn't <laughs> doesn't need that. But Death Trap's a brilliant film, and mm -hmm. I think what's cool about Death Trap is that um, it's a it's seemingly a classic style murder mystery but it goes full knives out in okay. that it deconstructs the genre while you're having these these um <laughs> let me just say uh at least one of the protagonists is is a, is a gay character yeah um who's who's really digging into both uh the masculinity of the time expectations in theater how theater sometimes blends often not sometimes but often blends masculine and feminine traits to produce characters and plots it's very much about that and um marnie which is believe it or not is actually not one of my favorite hitchcock films uh i i i remember you're not the first person to say that really really okay I feel like someone i feel like maybe daniel don't quote me daniel or anyone but i feel like he maybe said like i didn't really like that very much but yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mar Marnie is interesting. It's one of those that um, I actually need to go back to. But I remember, I vividly remember being really into it. Yeah, and and the ending just kind of shitting the bed. Mm. Um, um, and and it's from an era of Hitchcock, which is is not believe it or not is actually not one of my favorite uh, eras of him. Uh, but um, so I, I I'd be curious to know if if he if it was one of those cases where it was another filmmaker like Fosse almost bastardizing what Jay Preston Allen wrote. The yeah, so she actually, I can't if I remember the quote, but if I wrote down the quote, but she basically gave a lot of credit to him in fostering her as a screenwriter. So in, in this interview she did with um, uh, Scott Myers on Medium, where he said it, it's a series where like how they wrote, how they write a script, um, and so she talked a little bit about it, but about how much feedback Hitchcock gave her and Alma gave her at the time. So I would not be surprised that there was some kind of, you know, pressure. And that was like one of her first movies. Yeah. She did. So it was like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something where it was like his influence overtook her original script. 
Yeah, and and obviously by that point Hitchcock had been um he had, he had kind of gotten out of uh the brief director jail that he was in um yeah. not not director jail but Psycho's a classic but yeah. people, people forget it was doing something very radically new at the time yeah. and, um it, prestige filmmaker going back on budget and, and shooting this black and white uh, uh what people perceive to be schlocky horror film so um he had just gotten back in good graces with the birds uh with a with a with a lot of audiences making what's arguably his most iconic film yeah. so so yeah I, I can imagine that that marnie he would kind of bulldoze over a, a um an opportunistic but a, still a very young screenwriter um and i see that cabaret's her fourth movie um i and uh, i've seen funny uh no, no no sorry so i thought that was funny girl for a while <laughs> when yeah. i first looked at this it's funny lady so i haven't yeah. seen funny lady but um um, Prince of the City, I have seen. Uh, that's seen Lamette movie. Very, very good. Uh, very. Lamette loves her. Yeah, because uh, back to back, uh, Prince of yeah. the City and Death Trap. Um, yeah, Prince of the City is really good. Death Trap is brilliant. So, um, and after seeing Cabaret and and really, really, again, really, really enjoying this, it did give me a lot to chew on, much like Death Trap. Mm -hmm. And Marnie, I think, has moments of of where it's like, ooh, like what there's like some really coded stuff going on. So um, um, she is a very interesting voice. And it, it's funny because I'm kind of all over the place tonight, Lexi, I apologize. No, it's okay. Yeah. But um, where I was going with Michael York um, with his with his passes of dialogue, where he's talking about his sexual experiences, I feel like that's Jay, that's Jay Preston Allen. Like, I feel like that's that's gotta be all her, despite this being an adaptation, because he undergoes this very this very gradual change in, in identity mm -hmm. that really caught me off guard because a lot of the middle of the movie is uh, driven by montages, again, being edited yeah. within uh, the stage play. And there's even a really cool bit where Joel Gray, he, he doesn't even sing or anything. All he just says is magic. And yeah. um, after that, that's when you get into uh michael york's character finding out that uh well michael york uh being told that sally had an abortion and the whole yeah. fallout turning into uh weirdly mutual respect coming out of that but he takes ownership of his sexuality in a really really interesting way and i feel like that's got to be all preston allen because fossey himself from what i know of him was both a weird mix of I'm okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to word this in, in a PC way. <laughs> what I gather from Fosse, just his persona, is that he was a very he although he was cantankerous and and a control freak and and very very I guess manly in terms of his uh, his power uh, in yeah. regarding his projects. He I mean he was operating in the musical genre, which again combines that you know feminine touch and he yeah. has a soulfulness to it to his characters where i wasn't expecting me to come away loving a, a female character this flawed and this obtuse at times mm -hmm. and uh this where some where sometimes you're like ah oh, like you hear yourself but also like look around at where they're at you know yeah so, I'm very curious how you feel about uh, a couple of things I just said. So I feel like this, I'm really happy we're talking about this movie because I feel like this is 
a great example of how screenwriting only goes so far in movies because ultimately it comes down to the director slash maybe producers changing things like yeah. this is that this is the adaptation process that happens and this is why like it's very difficult sometimes to judge a finished product based on the screenwriter because there are so many steps in between um but i feel like there's like so i read this part of the script and i didn't get to read it along with the film because i was listening to the commentary and it was just like too much but it's yeah. like but i read the script and it's just like there's so many points that she touches on which shows that she innately got this these characters um and then and i don't know exactly if this is what sally said but like you could hear i could hear liza minnelli saying these words in a way where it was innate and it wasn't it didn't feel like pushed or like prep like it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't wouldn't work so i'm going to give an example of what's in the script so this is something sally says um i think this is like around the before the abortion scene or no this is before this is the scene where before the abortion announcement in, a, in yes. act three yeah yeah um Oh, no, 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 this is not, this is not that scene. This is the scene where she's trying to convince him, like, you love me, like, let's have sex. Basically. Oh, yeah. At the beginning. Okay. So uh, she says, be serious. Did you know uh, that I'm going to be faithful to you? I'm going to be totally boringly 24 hours a day faithful, unless, of course, it involves a film contract or something fatal like that. And you're going to be completely faithful to me. Does that scare you? Like that, that's something that absolutely would come out of that character's mouth. And that might be something that came from the play. I'm not sure. But like, there's just certain touches and descriptions that she gets absolutely correct. Oh yeah, no, that line very much tracks because yes. uh, because early on, it's actually very early on in the film when um, her and uh, Sally and Brian, uh, Manelli and York's characters are, are they're finally starting to get kind of entangled with each other, yeah. where uh, a character's like, y'all are sleeping together. And she's like, we don't sleep on each other. <laughs> it's, it's so uh, that's, that's, that is one of the high points of this movie is that this movie is, is really, really funny. Yeah, um, and and very very sharp script. Um, I actually saw a few letterbox reviews <laughs> where when I was uh, when I was logging this, um, I, uh, I saw a few reviews where once again people people I, people that um, I think like they know musicals way better than I do. Yeah, um, uh, found this to be a little underwhelming. They found it to be really boring. But I love like seventies drama, like just hearing people yeah. in movies, and that's literally what a lot of this movie is. It's tied to the spirit of musical theater, uh, especially with the with the numbers. I mean, I think mm -hmm. I really um, I really loved the number. Um, maybe this time, I thought that was beautiful. Um, uh, and it's interesting to note that a lot of the music in this film, like I would have to say, fifty percent of it was not in the musical original musical. So this is musical pieces that were pulled from other places like maybe this time was something that liza minnelli had recorded from a different artist previously on a different record and then uh, they decided to input it so like uh, in the in the script they had like punctuated certain parts with 
um, like, like we're going to have a song here or this is going to be the song from the musical kind of thing. Well, then it really does speak to your point about uh, the nature of uh, the hard blueprint of a script versus what yeah. a director brings to the table. Because it really, <clears throat> I mean, we, we've we talked about a little bit on this recording about Fosse's problematic elements, yeah. <laughs> which, which come across uh, through his work uh, at times. But um, the, the guy was a master and that's why yeah. that's the other big reason why I really want to chomp at the bit to, to see this movie is because the two Fosse's I've seen all that jazz and I saw Lenny actually, um, yeah. either right before. Yeah. I think it was, it was actually, um, right before you, 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 you told me about Cabaret, um, yeah. I, um, the, his Lenny Bruce biopic starring Dustin Hoffman, Valerie Perrine who a lot of people only know nowadays, be, she's Miss Tessmacher from um, uh, Richard Donner's Superman. Uh-huh. Amazing as Lenny Bruce's wife. Amazing yeah. in the movie. And uh, it really is an engrossing, <laughs> Raging Bull style, just black and white biopic uh, that ends in, in a really, I mean, if you know anything about Lenny Bruce's life, uh, unsurprisingly, it ends very darkly. Um, and, all that jazz, I think, has elements of both this and yeah, Lenny. I think Cabaret is a little bit more palatable because these are fictional characters. However, this is still a, a setting um, that's that Fosse is he's using these songs to recontextualize the rise of fascism. Yeah, um, and I did read, I did manage to read that um, the one I think it was either. Uh, uh, let me just make sure this is correct before I profess it. Um, but um, the one song, so the, the only remaining uh, number that he left over from uh, what was agreed upon from the original script was Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which is the song yeah. that um, when Max and Brian are chilling at the table, and this is the point in the movie where I kind of knew, okay, something's something's going on between yeah. us. There's no way you go from uh, one character being with a woman, the other character <laughs> being with the yeah. same woman, and then now you guys are smiling. Okay, something, something's a little, something's a little interesting here. But um, tomorrow comes to me is is the number if people haven't seen it, uh, where a, a bunch, where a, a considerable number of characters sitting around them start to rise up uh, and sing along with this lone singer, and then yeah. it becomes a very impressively directed and and edited. Uh, uh, layering of different voices together in the same setting and as the camera is pulling back a gradual amount of times to reveal that most of these characters if not all of them have not seen uniform, yeah. which is when the characters make the very apt choice to leave and I find it interesting that that's the number that Fosse kept it's almost like he knew through his megalomania what what he wanted his what he wanted his vision to be and and Man, I mean, if I'm gonna praise Kubrick at times for you know his genius in the midst of 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 his similar uh, his similar uh, uh, terror on set, then I mean, I think Fosse deserves to be in that conversation. I just think because probably because there's knuckleheads like me who uh, are ignorant to the the genius of what musicals can offer. Uh, I mean, I think that's probably. I don't know, uh, uh, Lexi, maybe you can disagree with me, but I, I feel like Fosse's kind of falling out of people's esteems. The only re reason I knew who he was yeah. 
when I was a kid is because of the birdcage, you know, bossy, bossy, bossy. Like, yes. I knew that, so. Yes. I think, so I feel like Fosse is becoming more into esteem, but I think it's because maybe we're more able to discuss complicated characters like this, like we're more willing to discuss these kinds of people. Okay. Um, and I feel like his type of musical, like you can kind of, not to, I know you don't like Lerman, but you can kind of see a similarity between this and like Moulin Rouge or or um yeah like i mean that's the idea is it's like the the rise of these in moulin rouge it's like the rise of these idealists but being brought down by capitalism at the end so it's like the same idea um but i was gonna say like all that jazz and elvis it's like the same i like this same idea you can kind of draw a line there maybe a little wiggly but it's like there is an idea there and like he changed everything bossy really did like he may have been a complete asshole but he changed everything um and that's important because it's like there is sometimes where people have such a vision and people buy into that idea of the vision that they're willing to be like humiliated, torn down, all this kind of stuff. But so I was listening to the commentary on this and Fosse, it, when he was auditioning people in Europe, he told people when they were done with their audition, thank you so much for coming. Or he would give some kind of cr constructive criticism to them. And oh. that was not something the, the facilities in Europe when it came to dancing or whatever they did, they just didn't, acknowledge you whatever it was done mm -hmm. like someone else would say okay bye so it was like this recognition that he gave to people who put in this effort to uh you know come in rehearse all that kind of stuff that was made him very respected by his peers so so he brought some improvisation into a medium that was previously known for being very, very structured. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of what he's known for in this like weird way of being like verisimilitude. Yeah, like this, like the, this modern dance aspect to his to his stuff, where it's like it's precise, yet there's like some kind of internal interpretation to it that happens. Um, which is very fascinating when it comes to dance because it's all about precision. But when you think of modern dance, you think of Fosse, which is like inherently kind of uh, inner rhythmic versus being, you know, on the counts. That's really interesting because um, for one thing, just going back to the other two that I've seen, and I, I'm aware I need to see more Fosse, like I do. Well, there's only one more to see and it's a really hard one to see. <laughs> That's why I've been avoiding that one a, a little bit. Not avoiding it, but I do want to see it, and I hear that it is great. Yeah. But it's definitely a certain mindset I have to be in uh, because I, I do know a, a little bit about around mm -hmm. what the movie's about and kind of what happened around it as well. So um, that that's a that's another thing. But um, with all that jazz, obviously, like that is that is the point is that he's laying his soul to bear through all this very modern i mean it came out in 1979 which is already the end of of, of arguably the most mm -hmm. groundbreaking decade in cinema but the fact that he concluded kind of combining all these different styles of musical 
but also presenting presenting ideas that I had never seen before. Like I had never seen uh, a drug addled protagonist directing a, a musical theater experience, but yeah. then delving into his own dreams and his own psyche, uh, uh, doing weird stuff with that's Jessica Lange talking to him through the dream sphere. Like <laughs> it, it, it just that's just not something I, that I see that yeah. I see very often. And in Lenny, again, even though again very hard to watch film, it's literally edited like a musical like yeah if you would have told me that the director of lenny me not knowing who bob Fosse is like if i lived on mars or something i guess you had to go that far to not hear about this dude if you're a film fan then i would be like this guy should make a musical you know yeah so yeah i, I mean there's a propulsiveness to, to cabaret that yeah. i that i that i definitely glomped onto um i was never bored for a second like and that's that I can't say all the time with 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 musicals. So I do definitely give credit to this movie for that. Not just because of the darkness, but because <clears throat> I feel like there's a this very free willing skit based quality to it. So that does fall mm -hmm. in line with uh, what you said about Fosse's improv. Uh, because one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and actually because of you, Lexi, I, I give credit to you. Uh, <laughs> I saw Barry Lyndon for the first time yeah. uh, earlier this year, um, which is a masterpiece. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, uh, Mar Marissa Brenson, who plays uh, uh, Barry's, uh, Barry's wife in the film, yes. she pops up in this. And I was like, it can't be her. No, I'll, this is such a Lexi <laughs> movie immediately. Like, <laughs> two 1970s bangers. Uh, she, she's the common denominator. But um, she's really, really. It's interesting because in both movies, she's, I can't call a Kubrick character heartbreaking. Let me put it. <laughs> I love Barry Lyndon, but it's a very, Kubrick's cold. I mean, it is what it is, uh, people. Uh, but, but what her character goes through is heartbreaking because she's married to a swindling loser. Mm -hmm. And in, in Cabaret, what she undergoes emotionally is heartbreaking. And, and I respect... Fosse for bringing out those emotions to the fore. It is a romantic musical. It's just not what you think of as the Kelly Astaire kind of thing. Well, the romance is in the background. It's in the background. Uh, and she clearly is, because of the language barrier at the beginning and that really funny, but also <laughs> very telling scene of Les yeah. constantly trying to comment, basically de being declarative being commanding about her sexual prowess and her presence yeah. and her place and her confidence, but also putting down um, um, the man that she's, she's, she's taken interest with and, and eventually fornicates with um, uh, as he's trying to balance this side of this side of his own car carnality versus being very real and formal and honestly yeah. knowing how to talk to the bourgeoisie, which Liza Minnelli lacks in, 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 in certain respects. Um, and then there's Marissa Brinson over here who is the bourgeoisie, but then you find out later on that she's Jewish. So yeah. she's, she's already got these exes against her and she ends up falling in love with one of the characters who admits later on in the film that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm actually Jewish, but I've had to hide from it. And because yeah. I'm so in love with this woman who won't marry me because of, of what she believes are differences in identities. Identity being a big theme in this movie. Um, Absolutely. Like, I have to reveal to the world that I am Jewish, putting mm -hmm. me and her at risk, but it also means that her and I are going to be in love with each other and, and or be happy together. And, it, and 
it's Fosse just doesn't play that up over sentimentally. It just happens. No. It's very matter of fact. And I just sat there being like, dude, like a part of me wants that sentimentality, but that also betrays what this movie is. And I think that's there's a beauty of that. That's real life. And and I love that this movie brings that to the fore. Yeah, I like that you bring up identity because it's like these two different like tent poles happening or i don't know if tent poles but like super ideas happening where it's like the natalia fritz stuff happening or they have to be true to their identity of being jewish mm -hmm. and loving each other and then you also have the michael york liza minnelli stuff happening on this side where they are i think that they end up being more in love with the idea of loving each other versus actually loving each other they're like, it would be mm -hmm. so easy if we fell in love. Like, why aren't we falling in love? I was wondering that because yeah. I'm you brought the I'm okay, I'm glad you bring this up because one of yeah. the one of the things I wanted to to question you about. Mm -hmm. Lexi, you're a film fan that I respect. You you I think <laughs> we, but I was I was wondering for the first, at least the first half of the movie, I was like, okay, this is a tragedy. I would even argue at points a tragic comedy because I'm I have, yeah. a, I have a fucked up sense of humor. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was like, I don't know if Michael York and Liza Minnelli have chemistry. But then I realized, and, may, and maybe okay, I don't know if this is a realization. Like I just hit Eureka, but like yeah. I was like, I don't think that that's the point. Like I don't think they're meant to have like chemistry in, in that manner. I think they're meant to bounce off each other i think it's one of those things yes. where i think there is an attraction to each other but it goes beyond i think it's more about survival at a certain point like oh there's there's this person who is attractive who uh is inviting me to her place mm -hmm. um from her vantage point because she's used to uh seeing the bourgeoisie from yeah. uh from what do you uh what do you call it? The uh, the fourth, basically in theater they they call it the fourth wall, like the, yeah. the the putting that in between the audience and you performing on stage. I felt like that's how she perceived Brian, when, especially when they first met. Like, oh, he's he's a little he's a little more feet than my type. He's yeah. he's he's a little more proper. He's a little more shy than the guys that I'm into. Let me see see how I can break him open. And I don't think that that that's conscious from her. I think that's just. Uh, that's just kind of what happens when a person like her meets a person like him and you put them in the same quarters literally together um, yeah there's like this as you said there's this chemistry where they like i guess you could say it, it's like different kinds of bonds i can't remember science at all where it's like the two kinds of bonds where it's like you either bounce off of each other or you melt oh, together yeah. it's like these different kinds of chemistry happening because she is a very inherently like enigmatic person who people are drawn to mm, and yeah. he is drawn to her because there is like some kind of underlying acceptance that he can feel from her and she's also like a fascinating person and she's drawn to him i think Liza Minnelli but, just has an energy too yes like, absolutely an energy and like there's some things you just can't deny and so also, I, I want to go back to the the parallels between Liza Minnelli and Bob Fosse later, but we have, we have, I get to go to we have to go to that because that's something I was is ruminating in the back of my head. We're just like, but there's like this 
idea where it's like in another world where everything was like 10% different, they might actually be together, but it's just not there for them. So it, it, it it's this, and, and it's this magical thing where they, they put it all out on the table for each other. And at the end, they're just able to be friendly and walk away from it. And like, that's mm-hmm. also a magical thing where it's like, we can just say, okay, we had a good time. We were friends for a, a year or a year and a half or whatever. We had some great times and then we'll like both move forward with our lives. So here's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Is okay. So after that happens, there's the there's the final song. And yes. I was and me being me and me being <laughs> me being the type <laughs> to like because especially with these pet a movie that's this legendary like cabaret, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have I feel like I'm gonna have questions because I feel like whatever musicals end with a certain song, there's there's always some coded meaning there. And yeah. With this one, I kept really, I kept reading different interpretations online, that kind of thing. And I, I kept wondering, I was like, almost like, okay, for, first things first, let me put it this way. I, what I gathered from the song on first watch, the first evening I saw it, um, is that she's retreating back to the stage after mm-hmm. having this, um, sharing these experiences with Brian and Max, where she, she, she was entangled with the bourgeois, uh, a member of the bourgeoisie for one minute, but really she found more emotional comfort and almost helped this guy. Uh, how would I put this? Help this guy take a command of of who he was on the inside. Yeah, and be comfortable with that. And she's comfortable going right back to the stage, which she knows well, and that's her ticket to survival is to continue doing what she is best at, which is singing and dancing. Now. The way the song, the lyrics of the song are they they read very sad to me, mm-hmm. and so I'm almost curious: Did she really get an abortion? And if she, wow, yeah, because she's talk she's talking about all the, all these feelings of despair and that kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and obviously, in uh, going back to uh, it's it's right before you get to Act Two where mm-hmm. she uh, you see her drink because uh, she's uh, she says herself, I'm not trying to be you know, this type of guy, but she says in her own words, like I tried to, you know, basically chill with this producer and uh, it didn't work out. So yeah. she's, she goes straight to the bottle. <laughs> and so I had that in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, so she's the type because she has this bravado amongst other things. I'm sure she has gone through because of the time period and being a woman. Um, she keeps her feelings within. And so to be on the stage and from my vantage point, again, Lexi, feel free to, uh, feel free to, you know, uh, you know, bounce back on me if I get this incorrect. But I read that scene as like, she is taking her feelings and masking them, even though the the lyrics lay, lay, lay them pretty bare, barely um, through the beauty of human movement and her own innate mm-hmm. Eliza Minnelli is, you know, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and just, and she just has this burlesque energy even while this song is going on. So I'm very, I was wondering, okay, I wonder if she's singing because this might be her last time being able to do this 
in this physical condition because if she lied about her abortion then mm -hmm. i mean she's gonna have the baby and her body will change forever not saying she can't dance again yeah. but it, it will change forever and she won't look exactly the same so uh i, I my brain went there with interesting it. i i did not think of it that way i thought of it as a real freedom call for her being like i'm ready to take on the next day because she doesn't think of her life in chapters or anything like that she doesn't think of anything substantial she thinks of like time in very short pieces like i'm ready to take on tonight or take on tomorrow because that's all i can think about right now mm -hmm. i i would not think of her being able to like i would think she would not have the abortion because of the exact reason she tells you she's not ready she's no place she has no time she doesn't have any money like all this stuff you're right you're i'm i'm see i'm getting my uh no, my i'm 70. not right but that's just my interpretation of it no i no no i i think what you're saying makes a little bit more sense because she what she says in that speech it does match kind of the more of the lyrics of the song where like yeah. you know there's i'm not you know i'm i'm not looking towards tomorrow i'm looking towards mm -hmm. the now and it is very declarative so i think i think you're i think you're probably right i think you're more right than i am because i'm overthinking cabaret is barry linden where i'm having <laughs> like what, is, what does every scene mean oh my god yeah. but uh, <laughs> no but that's the that's the great thing about it is that you can kind of interpret different things as you want and i love that you thought about that because i didn't think that at all well i i i think the curl came to my brain because and i think I used to not think as deeply about this, but I think when it comes to like auteur filmmakers adapting the work of, of women, it is something that I kind of just, you know, due to how more aware we are as a culture. Yeah. And I think, uh, thankfully mo movie fans like definitely reflect that. I think I like, I love the conversation you had on, um, uh, your recent episode about pitch perfect about breaking down, you know, uh, these things that were indicative just 12 years ago, um, yeah. and, or 11 years ago. And, 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 but looking back on it being like, okay, we, we understand that that's where things were, but here's what does work and stuff like that. So, um, when it, when it comes to, and okay, let me backtrack. So when, <laughs> when it came, when it came to me sitting down to watch cabaret, I was like, okay, I know that this is not a writer director effort. I know that this is Bob Fosse adapting uh, another screenwriter's work, a screenwriter who, unfortunately, you know, say like, you know, I'm just going to go by what you said, Lexi, like that Fosse is becoming more prominent in people's, or maybe he's getting a second, you know, I guess a, a second wave of popularity because of, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's it because, um, I didn't hear, I didn't even know Lenny was, was a movie until like just a year ago. So yeah. that, that is a testament to how, Film preservation, the rise of the boutique label, the rise of film-driven social media mm -hmm. has all worked together to bring a light to these films. So I'll concede with that point. <laughs> but <laughs> Jay Preston Allen, just due to the pedigree of her work, just the, the few movies I've seen, the worst one that I've seen is still very interesting and still worthy, yeah. worthy to discuss. So I think she's becoming more uh, obscured and yeah. uh, which is which is unfortunate because I think there's a lot of amazing screenwriters that need to be spotlighted. I'm I'm happy to be on this discussion and and maybe people look at this more as like okay, here's what Fosse did to this movie because that's what we do with directors, but Yeah. I just don't think you get Liza Minnelli's 
uh, strength as a character, how realistic she is, yeah. how much of an icon that her as an actress is, and this character that people associate with her with mm -hmm. um, at times without uh, the voice of a female writer. I just don't think it'd be, I just don't think the movie would hold up as well if it came from uh, the mind of a man. So, yeah, I think there's so. So I go back to my theory about like Bob Fosse identifying himself with Liza Minnelli's character. And I feel like there's Bob Fosse is someone who, because he's so present in his work and because I'm just going to say he has a giant ego, like he has <laughs> to find himself in the work in order to do it. Like uh... he. Like there's always there was like these hints that he wanted to play the Joel Gray character in this movie. Like he was like like throwing it around. Everyone's like, no, you can't direct it, choreograph it, all this stuff, and be the be one of the leads. It's just not gonna work. And I don't know if he can sing either. So that's also another thing. Is like oh, Joel yeah. Gray has to sing. So I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard. And Joel Gray won an Oscar uh, for yes. his role. So there's like, <laughs> I'm almost led to believe that Fosse was like low key, just like pissed that like Joel Gray got he to do these things. He was definitely jealous. Absolutely. Like, I think there, and in, in these films, like he identifies himself, obviously, with the Lenny Bruce character. He sees yeah. himself as like kind of this quote-unquote maverick in his field because he's a male in this, like, female-dominated field. Like, that's his kind of backstory and all of this and, and being into dance and everything. And then, like, the next step is him actually creating an autobiography of his life. Like, <laughs> and all that jazz. It's just, like, yeah. it's yeah. actually the next step is him being, like, actually centering himself and then he was actually thinking about doing that character as well thank god he didn't because Roy Scheider is freaking amazing in that movie like oh, one yeah. of my best performances of all time like I love that movie so much and him doing that is amazing and then he like takes this weird turn and doing star 80 and and identifying himself with the male killer in that movie like it's very well documented that that's like one of the reasons he wanted to do it he found this guy like enigmatic and the story enigmatic and also this idea of the young tragic woman dying is very like interesting to men of a certain age sometimes not gonna get into that psychology but there's like this <laughs> idea that he has to center himself in his films in order mm -hmm. to fully like enact him enact the work and be like okay this is how we're gonna do but i feel like he is liza minnelli like that's who he feels the most like center with. Oh yeah. And, and I just feel like this parallel. If he was a woman, he would probably be Liza Minnelli. We're like wrapped around delusions of grandeur, like yeah. really, really being belligerent with the people who bring your shit and like to to your face and like yeah. it, it literally agitates you. Yeah, like that. There's a certain. I'm glad you said present in his work because there is a certain awareness that you have to have in order to be. Um, what the Germans call a wonderkind. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but truly, I I feel like, and I think that's one of the reasons why I came away really respecting this this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and and because again, like if you were to ask me what my thoughts were when I first finished it, like I had to really sit with, okay, this was really good. 
And I almost thought the ending was like almost too surreal for the rest of the movie, like yeah. the, the the ending musical number. But then I had to think about it. Even after I wrote my letterbox spiel earlier this morning, I was like, you know, <laughs> like that's my, my my opinions of this movie keep changing the more and more I think about it. And now talking about it with you, I guess because it is such an endlessly interpretive text. There's uh, like some things where it's like you have to think. You're just like, oh, that's good because I liked it. And some things it's like, oh, that's good. But why did I think it was good? And so it's like this evolution in your brain that you have to think about things over in the film to be like, why did I like that? And I think going back to your point about Bob Fosse, his, 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 him kind of having a second life, I think because, I mean, I, I saw all that jazz for the first time um, at the end of college, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about so I'd say about five, six years ago for me. Um, and part of it was because it, uh, it got, it had, it had, um, it got a criterion release. And at the time mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast where, um, a couple of these film critics, they had, it was a group of film critics. They had since broken off. Yeah. One of them actually became, um, uh, the writer of like Sinister and Dr. Strange. He's okay. a, uh, and Black Phone. So, um, I followed his work quite a bit. Um, and have been a fan of his for a long time. But the other guys, they they did this like Blu-ray uh, review podcast and they reviewed uh, so many movies like from Kino, when the mm -hmm. Kino first started, or Ar Archive when it first started. Speaking of Death Trap, that's how I saw Death Trap was because of the podcast. Because <laughs> that was one of the first more Archive Blu-rays. Um, and um, they mentioned all that jazz when it hit and it was just like, dude, I've never heard of this movie. And it's amazing. So I saw it yeah. because of that, and uh, and uh, I was like, "Whoa!" Like, why? <laughs> at the time, I okay. I've since seen more musicals now, but at the time, yeah. I was like, "Why can't more musicals be like this?" But a, <laughs> but a part of me still thinks. I still think Fosse made. To me, still like what I think is is to me the best musical. Um, like I love seeing yeah. the rain to death, and I think that dancing on that level is is incredible i think there's other movies again directed by vince minnelli that could be a part of the conversation that i've seen but um as far as movie musicals um yeah i i just think all that jazz it combines everything great about the genre and the and the film medium together in a really successfully experimental package um but um I don't know where I was going with that, Lexi. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I like that. Have you ever seen White Nights? I've never heard of White Nights. I think you should watch it because I think it's a movie that you would like. So it is, let me bring it up. So it's Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gregory Hines in the, I think it's the late 70s or early 80s. Ooh. 85. So it's the 80s. So it's a great film about these two dancers who get stuck in Russia because they can't go back to America because they think they're spies or something. And like watching them dance, it's very Fosse esque in Ooh, okay. like the precision, but yet the like, but you know, Mikhail Burishkinov is known for being like a ballet dancer, and this is more like tap, which is like mm. Ricky Hines thing. 
Gregor Hines is like someone who I didn't even realize was like a tap dancer until later because I just knew him from movies. You know that yeah, kind I of. I only know him from Running Scared, where like, yeah, which is exactly. an, an action comedy. I had no idea he was a, even a dancer. Wow. Yeah, but he's just like an all-out performer. But I think he might like White Knight, so check it out. But it has some like amazing dance sequences. Uh, it's a little bit long, but there's like some really cool stuff happening there, and it, it's. But I think. I'm very fascinated with dance because I have no coordination. I'm very dancing, you know, fascinated with musicals because I can't sing like that whole thing where it's just like, I just love that people are able to do this stuff and right. watch it, watch them do it successfully. And uh, I think that this is such a, a fascinating punctuation mark in the way musicals have been made over the last couple of years, because it's like this, entry point into modern musicals where it be kind of becomes more about like the social commentary of how people use art in this way to express themselves with what's going on around them. Mm, I like that. I like that. Yeah. That, that really does track because this movie, again, cabaret is very much a seventies movie. Yeah. Um, and just like not even uh, in the sense that it's that it's attacking a subject matter. This, I mean, because at the time, like I feel like the um, Nazism was still relatively young. Like that concept, yeah. like this was only that was only about 30, 40 years before the, uh, this movie hit. And um, you immediately after you know the disbursement of that, seeming disbursement of that after the, the Second World War, you had remnants of that that we still have to this day. You know, yeah, so. and, and and I feel like this this movie had so many protests about it because of all of these pieces. They're like where people were like, you're encouraging Nazism when in actuality the the idea was so raw at the time that you couldn't some people couldn't differentiate the idea of being like this isn't this is showing how this this part this movement took place and how mm -hmm. it was able to gain popularity and how it was able to slowly creep in and it's it's not an it's not praising it it's just stating the facts of how this happened right it's stating the history but in a musical form and using this interpretation of dance and song to show how this can this stuff can creep in around the ed edges without us even realizing it it's also important to note that i mean you can you can surmise all these interpretations from it but ultimately cabaret i wouldn't consider a fun mu musical absolutely and, not and and which is why i loved about it <laughs> you don't like fun you know fun you know, i, you know, fun I hate person. fun <laughs> no, no, I, I, I love fun guys, but I, to me, it, it's almost more powerful for a movie to just be observational, which is why I thought it was the biggest irony in the world. I actually did think of The Searchers. I swear I don't think about Westerns 24-7, like I swear. But, but I was like, you know, as much as people can be accusatory towards John Ford and the Searchers for um, seemingly promoting violence against uh, Native Americans, or or you know John Wayne, you know the 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 face of, of of a part of racism at the time and stuff like that. No, it it really is being more observational, which in many ways is more uncomfortable when dealing with subject matters like that. 
And I feel very similar yeah. to, uh, similarly about Cabaret, where there's really no real easy resolution to go around abortion, um, having the person that you know you're that you know you're 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 sharing yourself with, sharing himself or herself with uh, uh, someone else, um, having these delusions of grandeur, and also having reality hit you and the viewers hard in the face by mixing all these musical numbers with very harsh. Uh, scenes of of violent aftermath, if not the act of of, of doing so, and um, and uh, something else I will say about Cabaret is that I I really enjoyed every song. There was not a song in this movie where I was like, man, I I really hate this, uh, or, <laughs> or 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 a song where it was like, man, this is like, I mean, I love Pitch Perfect. That's a cheesier musical <laughs> by design. So I can't. There are cheesy, I guess. Cheese is part of the genre to an extent, yes. but with this, like, I was like, no, this song is is actually pretty pretty dope, and and uh, I was even listening to some of the soundtrack at work today. I was like, this, I want to hear more of this movie, and and I can't get this the songs song, out of my head, so I can't get the movie out of my head. I don't know. The songs aren't particularly long, and the part performances aren't very long either. They're like max probably three minutes. Yeah. three and a half minutes they're not super duper long musicals like in the terms of, like gene kelly or all that stuff where it's like it'd be like 10 15 minutes minute musical numbers so it's like very very like this is just like we're just gonna dot this in and move on dot this in and move on like, yeah it's very truncated and deliberate which i think yes is what fossey brought to the table um although i will say shout out to vince minnelli as much as I complain about the the, the turgidity of <laughs> musical numbers on film, the fifteen minute number at the end of American in Paris, awesome! Like yeah. that, like that, that I think rivals anything in all that jazz and uh, singing in the rain. So just want to put that out there. I do love some long musical set pieces. So, so when I do musical numbers, I'm going to have you on for American in Paris. I love that movie, so please, <laughs> please talk about another like complicated man, Gene Kelly. Like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I my mom and I. Um, that's one of the things that uh, we we continue to connect to to this day. Yeah. I, mean, my, I bring my mom up a lot on these podcasts because literally, oh, like, she's so <laughs> she. I got my my love of movies from her uh, uh, by osmosis and just experientially. So. Um, I mean, I mean, Gene Kelly is just something I, 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 I consider him something. I consider him an entity. Yeah. I don't even consider him a man. Cause I'm like, a man can't do what he can do. He's, 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 he's just magic. So yeah, I'd love to talk about Gene Kelly and another <laughs> person who was a bit of a control freak. A lot of his movies were, were directed by him. So yeah. Absolutely. So if you're, you're going to recommend anything by Jay Preston Allen, it would be Death Trap. Yeah, Death Trap. Is that a movie? It is. It's a. Okay. It's it's a. Yeah, Death Trap is. Um. Yeah. One of one of one of the great directors. It's it's one of his best movies in my opinion. Um. Kind of an unsung classic. I I do think Warner Archive. It's like even ever heard of it. So it I'm was, glad that you're bringing it up. Yeah. No. I I I love indoctrinating people on Death Trap. It's, it's <laughs> I love of, that. Well, it's one of Ryan Johnson's um, Hutchstones for Knives Out. Like yeah. when you, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Evans' character is wearing a very similar sweater that Christopher Reeve does. Ah. I believe it's Christopher Reeve's best performance. 
Um, it's one of Michael Caine's best movies, in my opinion. Um, Diane Cannon um, is, is great in the film as well. It, and there's a there's also a weird weird in a good way for to me. <laughs> there's a very cool supernatural element almost. The movie tiptoes okay. around, and uh, like I said, it's just a very sharply written murder mystery. Prince on the City, excuse me, Prince of the City. Um, it's not as good as Death Trap, but I think as a first collaboration between Alan and Lumet, it's very good. It's an epic crime film where the first two acts you're gonna be like, okay, this is pretty good. Like, like this isn't this isn't the the scene Lumet that I that I'm that I might know as much. Then the third act hits, and that's when all the shit hits the fan. All the characters end up from the streets and and criminal syndicates in straight courtrooms, and it's kind of amazing. But um, um, I, I think Lumet was really trying to stretch his, uh, and I saw the movie over a year ago, so it's um, it's all coming back to me. But mm -hmm. um, he's trying to stretch a little bit and kind of make uh, his own Coppola movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's entirely successful, but I think it still holds up because of Alan's work. So I think it's an interesting movie. Lindsey Krauss is really good in it. Trent Williams, RIP, he died earlier this year. Mm -hmm. uh, really good performance from him. And I think Matt Reeves actually took from it for the Batman in a sense, because oh. uh, uh, I remember Carmine Falcone in that movie, him referring to um, uh, Pattinson as the Prince of the City. So um, yeah, de definitely, it's definitely still, even Lesser Lumet and Lesser Allen is still very much in the collective consciousness. But yeah, I, I like those movies a lot. I love that. Let's let's punch them up and like have have them people check those out if they haven't already because I have not even I've watched them but I'm definitely gonna add them to my watch list from now on. Uh, same with me and White Knights um, and Lexi. Yes. I I from here on out like uh, I'm gonna hold you to it to be my musical sage because uh, <laughs> I, I I I do think I do think I I, I like musicals because uh, there there are even though I just slighted you know, one of the big films <laughs> at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> um, there are many I do like. I do want to learn more about it. I want to kind yeah. of figure out, even go further in, in where my taste is with this genre. So yeah. um, I just wanted to say thank you again for giving me the opportunity to, first off, you know, acquaint myself with this movie. I finally got to see a big classic because of, of School by Cinema. I always love seeing movies because of podcasts that I revere. Um, and not just because I've been on it for three times. Gotta put that in. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, Lexi, you're the best, and uh, thank Aww. you, thank you again. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And you want to plug where people can find you, all the good stuff. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter on at uh, not X. I'm calling it Twitter. Um, yeah, no, call it X. <laughs> Uh, at P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. I am at letterboxd at P-R-E-S-T-O underscore M-I-T-C-H, where I'm uh, constantly like just like logging movies that I watch uh, throughout the weeks. And and some of the, my reviews are longer than the uh, the set piece in An American in Paris. But, you know, like that's why you're <laughs> on there if, if you're following me. But um, uh, besides this, um, I do have a, a couple of uh, podcasts coming up. Um, mm -hmm. Around the time this is out, I don't know if, if this will be out by then or or maybe soon after, but um, I recorded an episode with Matt about um, one of uh, Scorsese's B-sides. So um, that was a really, really fun discussion. Always love talking to Matt. Matt at Film Feast. Matt, oh, excuse me. Uh, Matt no, at Film, Film Feast Podcast. Sorry, sorry. Oh, man. No, I'm going to plug the actual podcast. So people, <laughs> you know. 
five people listen to this and Matt's probably one of them. So he'll, he'll know. And I think either at the end of this month or early December, um, um, my episode with, uh, excuse me, uh, my episode on my latest appearance on Schlock and Awe will be out with our mutual friend, Lindsay Wilkins. Yes. Uh, uh, in her own words, these are her words. Uh, I don't think she'd mind me saying this, but this is the most film bro-y double she's ever done. <laughs> I um, love it. So I'm proud to to play a role uh, as the as the uh, <laughs> play play my part as a uh, the millennial uh, YouTube obsessed guy on, <laughs> on the podcast. So, but no, I'm I'm looking forward to recording with her uh, this week. And uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I love being being uh, talking movies with you guys. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. This is a, this is a good chat. Um, and you can find School by Cinema on all the places and have a good day.